We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. Marcel Darius looks like he'll be suspended the first four games of the season for testing positive again for substances. This is a substance abuse policy. Either he tested positive, many believe it's marijuana, or he refused to take the test. From the Bills, quote, we are very disappointed. Marcel chose to put himself first before his teammates, coaches, and the rest of the organization and fans through his recent actions. From ownership down, we have made it clear his behavior is unacceptable. We will continue to take the necessary steps to work with him in order that he ad- adheres to the policies set forth by our league. As an organization, we will move forward with our preparations for the start of the 2016 NFL season in Baltimore on September the 11th. How is everybody doing tonight? Welcome to the Rock Pile Report. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger producing, and that was Damon Amendolara from CBS Sports recapping the Marcel Darius situation. Now, clearly, as you can tell from his quotes there from the team, no one's happy about this, right? No one's thrilled that this is the second time in two years that Darius is missing time for stuff that he just can't seem to keep off of off the field. And we've got a lot to talk about during this podcast. You know, for a team that claimed to have won the postseason, it sure feels like we've lost pretty much every single day since that statement was made. Is that Rex's fault? No, not directly. But Jesus Christ, if this doesn't feel like the billsiest start to any season in recent memory. Now, I have to admit that before we started recording here, I tried to jump over a cord that was suspended probably six inches off the floor, and something in my left knee just kind of pulled, and it really hurts. I'm not even moving it, and it, it I can feel it. Yep, that's right. We get, let's add another person to the pup list for the Buffalo Bills. And that's not physically unable to perform. That's pussy unable to podcast. Hey, whoa, I can podcast the shit out. <laughs> I can podcast the shit of this thing. And we're going to start it off. I'll prove it to you. We're going to start it off with the Buffalo Bills news update. (laughs) 
Marcel Darius has been suspended. It's announced on Tuesday. Handed a four-game suspension by the NFL for substance abuse. Well, maybe not substance abuse, maybe refusal to take the substance abuse test. But does it really matter where you fall on that spectrum? The fact is, you either failed the test or you just didn't take it. Either way, he didn't take it. Ugh. By all accounts, it doesn't sound as if he'll appeal, meaning that we'll be without him for the Ravens, the Jets, the Cardinals, and the Patriots games. What did you expect from somebody wearing a sailor's hat? Considering he was one of my favorite collegiate players, playing on my favorite college team. War Eagle. And then got drafted to my favorite football team. I've been a fanboy of his for years. Which can probably explain why last night, this is what it sounded like around the gear household anytime his name came up. And I want to look him straight in the eye, and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Now, obviously, I've calmed down since then. Yesterday, I was a little raw. Let's remember, that's why we do, when we get into the season, let's remember, that's why we do our podcasts on Wednesdays, because if we did it, like, Sunday night, right after a game, or Monday, you would still be heated. Plus, if we did it Monday, your eyeballs would just be focused on Monday night football, and you wouldn't be able to focus. The fact is, is I'm just, I've, I've taken a step back, I've taken a deep breath, I've collected myself. His absence is a huge blow to a defense already riddled with injuries. I mean, it's worth noting that given the structure of his contract and the league rules, this suspension is going to cost him $3.3 million in forfeited salary and bonuses this season. For a guy with a base salary of only $7.5 million, I just hope that not showing up to the league-mandated test was worth it. I mean, if he was in real trouble, couldn't he just find one of those Chris Carter fall guys they're always talking about? Excuse me. Sorry. Sean, have you seen my piss? My parole officer called. He wants that piss. Then you've got this news coming out about Manny Lawson and a possible one-game suspension. Now, I don't know what to make of it. His agent's disputing it. The player hasn't said a word about it. I don't know where that's going to go, but it's worth noting that, again, he, another suspension coming out on the same day. It's enough to, It feels like he got kicked in the head by a horse. He said something earlier today that he had he's never been in any kind of domestic dispute of any kind. The only thing that's happened to him this offseason is uh, the weight room incident. <laughs> we have no idea where that's going. But it's something worth watching because, again, it's another fault. <laughs> it's another thing, another, another way to fault the Bills' defense coming into the beginning of the season. I mean, you, you're missing players. You're, you could be missing guys who you intend to make an impact on your defense. You think Rex gets a pass for a mediocre season? I don't even want to talk about it right now. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Let's move on to some good news. This week, <laughs> last week actually, I guess, because it was Friday, Bills GM Doug Whaley appeared on WGR 550 to personally announce that an extension for quarterback Tyrod Taylor had been reached. Now, as there always seems to be whenever the Bills do anything, you know, it's, you know, it's had its fans, the move has had its detractors. This is what Colin Cowherd had to say on his weekly show on FS1. 
I mean, Tyrod Taylor, it was August. What in the hell were you assigning him to an extension? Why? Nobody was bidding on him. Camps were opened up. That's just low self-esteem. That's Buffalo having low sport self-esteem. And they did the same with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They re-signed him in September. Wait till the season is over. I mean, I don't run a major business, but rule number one is don't sign people to extensions unless you have to. You signed Gronk to an extension. You signed Aaron Rodgers. You signed, uh, you know, Westbrook. Or, you know, you signed guys that, that, that you know, if, if you're the Lakers, if Brandon Ingram's pretty good, then in a couple of years, like, sign him early. I understand signing extensions. You do it when it's time. It was August. This is classic Buffalo Bills. That's Colin Cowherd, Fox Sports Radio. One of the things that he had said there was it's August Nobody's bidding on him. To me, that makes it seem like he thinks he's an unrestricted free agent, like other people could bid on him. No, he has a contract with the Bills. And one of the things that you do it in August is you don't want a Joe Flacco-type situation to come where he plays out the final con- the final year of his contract, he gets Buffalo 10 wins, and we make the playoffs. Then he's going to command even more money because somebody finally got us to the playoffs. Well, first off, I think in that opinion, Colin Cowherd, he's a guy that I'm hot and cold on. Right there, he just sounds like a blowhard. Okay, He's a guy who notoriously just doesn't like Buffalo to begin with. So I don't expect him to understand it. No, because he's a corporate guy. He likes corporate cities. But what my takeaway from my point of view, I think this contract is perfect. And I think it's a reflection of the fact that Whaley actually knows what the hell he's doing. Now, Colin Cowherd is talking about an extension for Tyrod, but clearly he hasn't read the fine print. He hasn't read the details. But they don't pay him to do that. So, you know what? I can't really fault him. He's a shock jock. He is the sports version of a shock jock. His job is to have a hot take, get a bunch of people to listen to him, and sell some advertising space. In reality, if you break down the terms of the deal, it gives the player some security and a sense that we want him here as long as he keeps playing and progressing. At the same time, what the Fitzpatrick deal didn't do is that this deal gives the team the flexibility to go another direction if he fails. Yeah, I, uh... And and it frees up the franchise tag for Gilmore next offseason in the event that Tyrod plays well enough that they think they want to keep him around and still keep Gilmore. The, uh, this morning I got to listen to the AFC East Bros, and yesterday they had... Uh, somebody from patscap.com on to break down the Tyrod deal. Basically, he had stated this season, Tyrod, however he performs, you know, if he performs poorly, we can get out of the deal after next year with little to no dead money. But if we pick it up the next two seasons, he's basically uncuttable, is well, what it came down to. Not true. If you look at the way, you go to sporttrack.com and you take a look at the way his sailor breaks down, in the last couple of years of that deal, he's owed no money. So the thing is, if we even if we took him on for another, you know, I've heard it said before from other fans, oh, we should have saved that money for Cardale. Of course, they saw him play against third stringers and thought he was Jesus. But that's how starved for a quarterback we are. Now, yeah, for years- if you take a look at his actual contract, all of his money is front-loaded. So, yeah, he's going to get paid next year. If he plays well this year and gets us to where we want to be, he's going to get paid next year. Yeah, years two. And he'll get paid next the year after that. And then in the following couple years, there is almost, at one point, there is no dead money. There's no guaranteed money tied to his contract after that. 
Yeah, which well, almost seems perfect because if Cardale turns into a Ben Roethlisberger type pocket quarterback, and we think we can win with him, there's no reason not to move on. That's not to slight Tyrod. That's just football economics. Yeah, I said we could. I think we, that this deal proves that you know, for everyone who bitches about the job that Doug Whaley does, you all need to shut up and eat some crow. You included Chris because you were bagging on the fact that oh, we need to sign Gilmore, not Tyrod. Sign him. Give us the flexibility to do what we need to do and win football games. If we don't, we'll move on. But if we do, we'll continue as business as usual. We try to build a, ch- a championship roster. See, I was concerned with that we were going to be giving Tyrod like 20 to $25 million a year. And the, the way the gentleman last night on the AFC East Bros kind of broke down his contract, we could get out of it af- after year for year four, yeah. year five, year six. You know, it costs and, us and the first year, and if he totally shits the bed this year, the fact is, is that I, I don't know that I've seen a better contract drafted up by a GM in recent history. You need to shut up and eat some crow, and we need to move on because all I was I'm saying, done beating this all drum. I was saying, is I didn't want to pay him north of twenty million. And even if you watch NFL Live, uh, People know him around this area because he was involved with a recorded phone call. Mark Dominic, who's now an ESPN analyst, said if that's a great team-friendly deal, and if he was Tyrod's agent, he would have told Tyrod, don't sign this deal. Well, the fact is it's in the books. Speaking of in the books, you want to talk about deals. How about this, Bills fans? New Era Stadium. New Era Field. Oh, God, that's even worse. As a kid, I called it Rich Stadium. NEF. Now, Rich Stadium to me was synonymous with an awesome Bills team, winning football, Super Bowl appearances, playoff wins. So it's hard for me. It was hard, you know, in the 2000s to get used to calling it Ralph Wilson Stadium. Now it's been announced the team will be referred to as New Era Field. I'm... Fans are divided on this. I mean, I've heard guys calling to WGR, the local sports radio station, panning the move, and another a lot of other talking heads in the local media are lukewarm on it. I'm not sure how to feel. I don't even know if I feel anything, because in all honesty, I'll probably end up just calling it Rich Stadium, which is either Rich or the Ralph. I kind of flip-flop between the two, but the fact that I'm still calling it Rich Stadium after all these years... I just don't think, it, to me, it doesn't matter. I don't care about the name on the outside of the field. I care about what's going on on the inside of it. You had to know that that was coming. Terry Pagula buys the team. We're one of you know a handful of teams that don't have naming rights. Hey, he you was, knew that was coming. Hey, but he was classy about it. He made sure that there was a statue erected outside in Ralph Wilson's honor. He made sure that the guy was still being recognized. And then he moved on, which is a smart business move. I, again, I just don't know that I'll ever really call it New Era Field. I won't. I'll just continue to call it Rich Stadium like I have for the rest. For, I mean, that was the heyday. That's what I remember growing up and as a Bills fan, and I just can't stop myself. I just, I, as a reflex, I call it that. And in other Bills news, we signed Croy Bierman this week. Now, oh, I believe you've been saying that literally all offseason. Pretty much. To help address their paper-thin depth outside linebacker, we brought in Croy Bierman. Now, he'd previously visited with us in March, so the team knew what he was about. They'd already had a chance to talk to him, so it didn't take them long to sign the guy after Icahn and Polly went down. Per Falcons fans that I've talked to online, according you know, and according to the Falcoholic on Espionation, 
This is their synopsis on Croy Beerman. He's a solid special teams player who is decent against the run and can occasionally produce pressure in passing situations if he's played in a limited role. He's the type of guy who can really succeed for the team as long as you don't expect him to be a full-time starter. He's a rotational guy. He can come in and make a couple flash plays here and there throughout a game, but you can't count on him every single down. Now, I personally think that O'Brien Schofield would have been a better pick at that position, but then I took a look. I went to Pro Football Reference, and I looked at Bierman and Schofield's statistics, and it turns out Bierman's put up more stats than Schofield. So even though... You know, Schofield's the younger player. We went with Bierman, and hopefully it produces good things for the defensive side of our team. We're going to get into the preseason game one review. Now, I broke this down because there was too much going on. You know what I mean? You watch any preseason game, there's 90 guys. All these guys are coming on, coming off the field. There's a lot of back and forth. Sometimes you don't know all the numbers and all the names. So what I do is I break it down into three categories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And this week, we're going to start off with the good. Good, great, grand, wonderful. Now, watching watching the first preseason game, my first takeaway, and I'm sure it was on all Bills fans' minds, Chris Gregg. Chris Gregg really stood out to me. He was winning against coverage most of the night, even when he didn't get the ball thrown to him. And he made some flash plays that you, you have no choice but to like. I mean, the block punt, that's in, that's more impressive to me than his touchdown. Just because his touchdown came against second stringers, whereas that special team's touchdown, is this, that's his station. Special teamer, occasional spot on offense. So if he can produce on special teams, that's the thing. If he can prove that he has that, there's no reason to believe he won't beat out O'Leary and Annan for a roster spot. Neither one of those guys are going to beat him for that job if he continues to play at that level on special teams. The next the next thing I want to get into is the quarterback play. Tyrod didn't get a lot of reps in the game. Which is good. No incognito, no Glenn, no offensive line. Well, that's what, and, and for, for those of you who weren't listening, you know, BillsFanatics.com, Nick Geary, and Ryan Lasel were both on WGR on Saturday morning talking about it. And I called into the show, and the point that I had to raise was I wouldn't start Tyrod Taylor. The only reason being... I know fans will want it. Coaches will probably want it. But if he has subpar protection, don't put him out there because you're asking for him to get hurt. He didn't get a lot of reps, but it was good because it gave us an extended look at EJ and Cardale. Now, EJ looked comfortable, and Cardale couldn't lead us all the way back for the W, but he showed composure that I've, I haven't seen from a rookie quarterback. I mean, the kid didn't look lost as he led us down the field for a touchdown. I don't think he gets rattled in heated moments like that. You know, you're talking about a guy who won a national championship was for it? Ohio State. He's played in big games. Was it He's like, played in big moments? Was it a, a nine, was it like a 90 yard drive with a minute yeah. and a half on the clock? Minute 38 on the clock, and he marched us down the field. Now, EJ, EJ overthrew his wide receivers on a few occasions. Oh, you know? really? <laughs> and he didn't show, but he didn't show panic. You know, that's one of the things that I've always seen from EJ. He he doesn't read the field well. So when he starts going through his progressions and no one's open, he panics. But he's not a natural runner. I don't know what it is about him, but he's not a fluid athlete. Like, you'd expect a guy with his 440 time to just take off. And instead, he just, he kind of hangs in the pocket. And it's like he wants to throw, but he wants to run, and he gets caught in no man's land. Well, 
even though he can't manipulate safety coverage with his eyes, and he can't, he can't, he hasn't learned pump faking yet. But he didn't panic that night, and that's one of the things that I was most, you know, surprised by him. That's been his career as the guy who panics in the pocket and just tries to roll out but can't roll out, and eventually just either throws it away or throws an ill-advised pass. His best play of the night came on a first down throw to Woods. Okay, I don't even like the, the touchdown throw to Greg wasn't his best throw. What I liked about EJ was pre-snap. He comes up to the line, he identifies the pass rusher, and then communicates it to his tight end and his running back. Then, when the pressure came in his face, he didn't panic. He just went to his third read and threw a clean ball to Woods. First down. That right there shows that he's maturing as a quarterback. Which gives me hope that this coming... Because we all know Cardale's not ready to start. I don't care what anyone says. He's two to three years away. It gives me hope that EJ can be that number, good number two guy. That play right there, more than anything, solidified it for me that I'm happy with what I've seen from him so far. We'll see what this week has to bring. Now, when we're talking about Cardale, he displayed many of the traits that he was drafted for. You know, he showed off a big arm. There was a ball that he threw... Oh, the one to Walter Powell is probably the most impressive throw of the night because he zipped that ball in between the safeties and caught Powell where he could in stride just keep running for extra yardage. And that's what got us in range to get to that game-tying touchdown. And it's crazy that he was able to complete that ball because as we were out the previous Saturday for the scrimmage, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn in warm-ups. His accuracy was terrible. Well, I'll tell you, when the lights came on, that kid showed up, and he was zipping balls in with confidence. He almost fumbled his first snap, and he recovered by throwing a perfect play fake, turned around, and just locked into his man and whipped it in there for a first down. It was crazy watching how much velocity he gets in the ball. And then he was also the second best rusher of the entire team for the night. You know what I mean? The poise that he showed on the final drive was incredible. His, you know... He just the fact that he knew when he didn't have anything open, I could watch him going to one read, two read, no one was there, he checked the flat, and then he would run. That's the kind of poise that you expect to see out of someone who's been in the league for a year or two, not someone who just got drafted in the fourth round. I think that if Cardale has time to time to sit the bench and grow, he could really be something. One of my other good points for the night, the top half of the running back depth chart. I thought the running game looked good. You know, the guys highest in the depth chart were, you know, put in the game. McCoy didn't do much, but Gillisley had a nice burst for a first down. You know, Gillisley's mark has always been when he gets to outside the tackles and he can get into space. He can get chunk yardage as a running back, and he did it again against the Colts. Yeah, so far it looks like you're going to get a nice fruity beverage. And then Jonathan Williams looked really good after seeing significant carries. I mean, he ended the night as the leading rusher with 44 yards, and, you know, he caught a couple passes out of the backfield. He looked comfortable in the offense. Yeah, I love how you just totally bypassed my Gary Smith drop. Oh, the you fact totally is, is bypassed I'm the not giving bet. up. I'm not giving up on my boy yet. The other one, one of my other positive takeaways from the game, defensive cohesion. Even with, the, even with vanilla preseason defense, it was obvious that our team was very much on the same page. The starters really did their jobs and looked impressive. I mean, Marcel Darius almost corralled in an interception. How often do you see D tackles getting picks? If you know, Kyle Williams had one a couple of years ago. It's the last one I can remember for the Bills. So, 
I just think that there wasn't any glaring breakdowns in communication, which is what we saw last year. We saw a lot of confusion. We saw a lot of our starters not being able to just communicate what the play was. And because of it, we gave up a ton of yardage that we shouldn't have. And we also saw Rex subbing as late as possible. So people wouldn't know the you know the play call and Preston, Preston Brown couldn't get it out. Because there were still people subbing while offenses were ready to make a play call. I know it's one preseason game, but I'm really excited about the fact that it looks like guys are finally on the same page. Yeah, imagine and, if we had Darius, Shaq Lawson, Reggie Raglan. And, and I'll be Mr. honest, I don't think it would have mattered even though they held even though they held uh, Andrew Luck out of the game. I don't know if it would have mattered all that much because Because of Rex Blitz in the preseason. We, the heat that we were bringing and just the way our defense was playing was lights out. I don't know if they would have been able to score. And then, finally, my last positive of the night, Colton Schmidt, the Bills punter. I don't care what anyone says about specialists, you know, like kickers and punters not being football players. I play real sports. I'm trying to be the best at exercising. Simply put, I don't give a shit if the guy rides a bike for half the season, you know, during games. Colton Schmidt is the balls. He is, his leg is a monster. He routinely, when we were backed into our own zone, put the other team back on their 30. He was flipping the field. His leg is ridiculous, and I think he's only getting better as he gets older. He's, gonna, he's already broken the franchise record last season. He's franchise record for net average for punts. Was that set by Brian Mormon? That was set by Mormon. Which was previously set by Chris Moore. Which was previously set by Rick Tootin. Which I don't know if I just named our last four punters. <laughs> the fact is, is this guy's going to, if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be here for a while. And that brings me to the bad portion of this weekend's preseason game. You suck, you jackass. The first thing I got to go with is Hankerson's hands. For a guy who's an NFL vet, I expected more from Leonard Hankerson. He's a minicamp darling. You know, at one point, people were talking about him as being the number two wide receiver. And earlier in his career, people said the same thing. They thought he would fit that role. So I was shocked when a guy who hasn't been great in camp came out and just imploded when the lights came on. He was open. There's no doubt about it. The guy could get himself open with his feet. But then he dropped every single ball that was thrown at him. It was disappointing. And this is what Rex has had to say about it during the postgame press conference. Um, Hankerson had a, had a horrible game. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Um, three or four drops. And this is an NFL receiver, a guy that's been there and done it. So I'm sure he's very disappointed in himself. And, and I know I'm disappointed sometimes. I don't hide it, you know, very well. But I shouldn't. I mean, we expect more. Well... I know it was just one game, but he didn't do himself any favors on Saturday, and it ultimately led to his dismissal. I mean, the guy's gone. Toast. Take care. Take care now. Bye-bye then. They didn't even, like, they didn't add another wide receiver. They added a defensive tackle, (laughs) which tells you that they're like, hey, we're happy with the wide receivers we have. We know you suck too much to be on this team. And we know that we need D-tackles because we're going to be without our best (laughs) one for four games. Because he likes doobies. The second negative I have to bring up here is the bottom half of the running back depth chart. Or your half of the bet. Now, the bottom half of the depth chart here at running back didn't do much in a positive way to change anyone's ideas on where they should be in the packing order. Boom Heron was wholly ineffective. He ran four times for zero yards. 
Wilder Jr. managed one yard on five carries. Now, I'll say this. A lot of the blame for both of those guys can go to the offensive line. There was a play where Wilder Jr., he had a nine-yard run, but it got called back for hold a weak holding call on the fullback. But the fact, the fact is, is that these guys have to do something because they're falling behind in the pecking order, and they have to show up in this next game. Because if they don't, if neither one of them makes a splash play, I could definitely see them being cut. And I can definitely see you losing a gentleman's bet. For those of you who don't know, Chris keeps trying to get me to talk about it. For those of you who don't know, I made a bet with our uh, compatriots over at AFC East Bros Podcast. Me and Gary made a bet over whether who would make the... I thought that Wilder would beat out Gillisley based on his bigger stature, his his fit as a power running back. His ability to play special teams. His ability to play special teams. So I thought he would have a easier time making the roster than Mike Gillisley. And yet, by all accounts, Mike Gillisley, Gillisley is being handed this roster spot. Like He's being given every first look they get when Shady isn't on the field. And that's disappointing to me. But at the same time, he needs to step up and earn it. And if I lose, I have to buy him a drink of his choice, and he's going to put a fruity umbrella in it. He's going to make me order just the girliest-looking drink and bring it back to him. Now... I'll say it, he's only going to do that because I was going to do it to him. And when he found out, he decided to flip the tables. But the fact is, is Wilder Jr. and Boom Heron are in danger of not making it past cut day. Which one, first? First cuts. They're in danger of not making it past first cuts. And then the last, the last group I'm going to bag on here. Second and third string offensive line. When our starters were on the field, our run game was efficient. Our quarterbacks had relatively clean pockets. You know, all of that went right out the friggin' window when the second and third guys came out. I saw a guy, I think his name is Renfro, and there's another guy named Martin. They were like turnstiles on def- at defensive end, and you could see it. As soon as they went out, you know, Wilder saw only saw one hole that he, the entire night. And even when he showed some burst, there was a holding call. Boom Heron couldn't find any running room. Not to say he doesn't belong in the NFL, but the fact is, is you should be able to get more than one yard on f- four rushes. That's on your offensive line. That's not on the running back. I think, you know, just watching all of this happen once our starting offensive line came off the field, not even a real starting off, the, the, our backups, Groy and uh, Quanjo came off the field and they put in these backups and everything went sharply downhill for our offense. There was no pocket presence. There was no time to do anything. Our offensive line depth is in trouble by all accounts. Everything I'm seeing, because they're not playing first string offensive players. If our second stringers had to go up against or, had to go up against real NFL talent at this point in the season, I could see it ending in a disaster. I don't know. I just I think that this is a position that we have no choice but to look at when teams start hitting cutdown day, there's going to be some players, not the first one, but the second cutdown day, there's going to be some good players that get sent to waivers just because the team doesn't have room for them, whether it's because of draft picks, whether it's because of free agent acquisition. There's going to be guys who get cut loose, and I think that's where the Bills need to look to address these tackle positions and especially the right side of the line. And finally, from Saturday night, we're going to wrap up with the ugly parts of the game for the Buffalo Bills. A 
and your family screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs! Here comes a meat wagon! And the medic gets out and says, Oh my God! The medics had to come and get IK and Polly. Our depth at outside linebacker took another blow as IK was on the receiving end of a just a brutal-looking knee injury. And the team confirmed it's a full ACL tear. We knew it was an ACL oh. tear when we watched it. Chris and I were watching the game together, and we knew from the moment it happened. That's that, He that ripped up every ligament in his knee. Now, he's been waived with an IR designation, and I heard today that he's been moved officially to uh, He's cleared waivers. He's on IR. And... He's he's. I don't see any way he's going to come back for the rest of the season. Well, no, it's an ACL. You're done for the year. Yeah, you could you easily talk about his career potentially being over with. I mean, I will say, and I hate to bag on the guy, you know, kick a, kick somebody while they're down, but he didn't. Gino would. He didn't look great when he was in. He started off the game strong, and I had a lot of hope for him. And then he took. To, he he led up. He broke. He lost containment on a running play, and then was called for almost back-to-back false starts on defense. You know, it's he's just doesn't strike me as a guy who has the talent to play as a starter in the NFL. And I understand Rex wants to give the kid a chance, but it sounds by all accounts that his career here in Buffalo might be over. And speaking of penalties, that brings us to our second point. The, in my mind, short of the knee injury, the ugliest part of the entire night. For as much as I like the play of the defense, we managed to take penalties on offense, defense, and special teams. That absolutely has to get addressed. I mean, what, what do we have, 106 yards worth of penalties? You cannot give up a whole football field's worth of yardage in penalties if you want to win games. Rex seems to agree with that sentiment. The mistakes... You know that we made as as I, you know, I pointed out to our team. It's like we got to turn the page on that. That was last year's team, and and uh, and we can't have it. I and mean, we've been working extremely hard about uh, you know some of those penalties we saw. We had four offside penalties, and that that was uh, you know that was upsetting to me. We had I think three penalties on special teams, and so that blueprint was what last year's blueprint was. And as a team, there and anybody in there that's happy with that performance just because of that. Yeah, there's there's no for as many positive takeaways as you have, you came up short by one point in the game that you gave up a whole field's worth of yardage. We're not going to win a whole lot of those games come the regular season if that's the, the the mentality that we're carrying over from last season. They have to find a way to get that under control. We're going to close this segment with the hero and zero of the night. My hero of the game. There was a lot of candidates. He could have given it to a lot of people. I mean, Cardell Jones, he looked phenomenal on that, you know, in the fourth quarter comeback. But I got to give it to Kevon Seymour. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. The fact is, is Seymour saw time with the ones and didn't look out of place. He was shut down with the number twos outside of that one passing a weak pass interference call when he tripped and fell and rolled into the guy's legs. The fact is, is he seems like he's a solid athlete. I don't know if you're going to see a whole lot of that. And then he's shown a ton of upside just being a sixth-round draft pick. The fact that he's coming in as seamlessly as he has. I mean, Rex was practically crowing about him 
during some of the post game interview, you know, post practice interviews this week at training camp? As we all know, this this young man can play. I, I love the way he competes. Uh, he's a smart guy. We did throw him in there with the uh, ones that that's we're trying to get him some work at nickel, and so this was an opportunity with. Uh, you know, with uh, Roby being out, we just put him in there at nickel. All that audio comes from BuffaloBills.com. I mean, I can't say that I hate the pick because the kid is stepping up and making plays, which is what everyone expected him to do when he got here. He was doing that in minicamp, and then people started praising, oh, well, we can just let Gilmore walk because we got <laughs> the six-round pick. I wouldn't say that, but I'll say this. The, the fact that the kid is playing well just does awesome things for our cornerback depth. I see no reason why he doesn't make the roster at this point. Oh, he's definitely on. Speaking of making the roster, brings us to our zero of the night, and that's Leonard Hankerson. Move this man! You can teach a football player a lot of things, but hands aren't one of them. Okay, They either got them or they don't. He must have had four drops. There's a million guys who try to play wide receiver in the NFL and just don't make it every year. Okay, they're all fast, they're all athletic, they can all get off press coverage, they're big guys, and yet they don't make it to the NFL as wide receivers. The fact is, is Leonard Hankerson might never realize his potential, and Saturday night was the epitome of that. The fact is, is there was a couple times, I mean, once I could see him getting kind of like bumped by a defensive player, but more often than not, the ball was hitting him right in the hands and he just dropped it. You can't go over in a game where... They're throwing at you routinely and expect to have a job in the NFL. And so I wasn't shocked when he got cut this week. I really wasn't because at this point, the coaching staff, as you heard from Rex, had seen enough to know that he wasn't going to contribute anything to this roster this year. All right, everybody. And to wrap up the AFC East training camp roundup edition of the, you know, the Rock Pile Report that we've been putting on every single week, we have Miami Dolphins podcaster... His podcast is called The Finns Broadcast. Ron Caniff is in the house with us tonight. Now, I'm looking forward to a lot of good conversation, considering I haven't drank as much as I usually do by this point in the podcast. Ron, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, man, but kind of disappointed to hear that you're a lot more sober. <laughs> oh, no. I'll tell you, last week, no, you know what happened was during the Jets one. With, when Christian came on, it was great, but when uh, Kyle Smith from AFC East Bros Podcast came on, yeah, there was some delays and things got behind and it was running late and I didn't I wasn't pacing myself or paying attention to my pace and I realized I hit that weird kind of eight nine beer mark and things got squirrely on me right there nice. near the end. Eh, I had a good time, but uh, that's where Drew really gets going. <laughs> like when we have people on and he gets, I could see him from across the table and he just. He just starts motioning with his hand, like, get me a beer. This is, like, the greatest football conversation I've ever had in my life. I need alcohol. Nice. So, first question for you. You run the Finns Broadcast Podcast. Yes. How did you get into podcasting? Uh, You know, it's interesting you ask that. I've always been a huge Dolphins fan, obviously. And for some reason, I just had it in my head that I wanted to voice my opinion on the team. Wanted to just kind of put something together, put it out there. So I originally attempted it, first attempted it, and when I say I attempted it, it wasn't very good. I kind of just, I got into a closet, my wife's closet, because that was the best soundproof place there was. It was clothing everywhere. I was crowded in there, and I just recorded myself in this little dinky mic, 
into there, and then I just shared it with my friends. That was it. <laughs> that was all I did. And then I said, you know, I think I need to really learn how to do an actual podcast because I wouldn't even consider that one. So then about May of last year, I started really investigating, okay, let me give a true podcast a try. How do I get it on iTunes? How do I get some better equipment and whatnot? And uh, just went for it, honestly. Just started a Twitter account, had zero followers on it. And started following a bunch of Dolphins fans, and people started finding my podcast. Some people would find it through um, iTunes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And started linking up with some other podcasters and bloggers to get some people on my show. Because at first it was just me and some buddies on the show. That's, that's all I knew. And before I knew it, I had you know almost a couple thousand followers. And uh, there you go, just con continuing to press on. Well, I'll tell you what, man. It's, I'm drawing a lot of parallels between how you came into this and how we came into this. And, you know, it's refreshing to hear that other people, you know, kind of taken that road. Now, I've got some stock questions that I ask every single person who's been on our show for the first time. So, question number one, how long have you been a Dolphins fan? Is this a childhood thing where you, you know, I'm assuming you were probably born and raised in Florida? Uh, yes, I was born and raised in Florida in the same county I still live in. Okay. Uh, yeah, I still live at maybe 25 miles from where I was born. And, um... I remember being a Dolphins fan since the 84 um, Super Bowl that we lost to San Fran. That's the first game I remember watching. And my whole family were Dolphins fans. My father was actually born in Miami. Oh, wow. And uh, they, you know, they were a huge Dolphins fan from the 70s, obviously. I mean, the, the heydays of, Who of the Miami Dolphins. Who wasn't a Dolphins fan back in the 70s? Yeah, so um, I just grew up watching and loving the Dolphins. I was obsessed with Dan Marino and Clayton and Duper, and that's pretty much all I could tell you about at the time, and Don Shula. And then as I started to get older and more into my 20s, I started to follow it a lot closer as far as more of the details. And then when I got into the 30s and the Internet really started to take hold where you could go Google anything you wanted to see, I started to get on the website, watch the interviews, mm -hmm. just get more and more information, and then training camp information, because I didn't even know what training camp was when I was in my 20s. I just knew mm -hmm. first game of the year is this week and that's when i really started tuning in so it was a a slow and steady progression over over 30 years oh yeah the, the hardest part is finding out that football is a year-long thing you because as soon as the season ends now you're okay there's the playoffs once the playoffs are over you're talking about draft prep you mean it never sleeps you know and so it's it's good to have like podcasting where you can just get these ideas and these things you can talk about the stuff that's going on during those kind of lulls, whereas the casual fan probably doesn't either know or care to know about it. Now, what was your favorite Dolphins game of all time? One game that sticks out in your mind is the best Dolphins game you've uh, ever been, that you've ever been associated with. That's the easiest question ever. It is the unveiling of the Wildcat in that butt whooping we put on the Pats in Gillette Stadium in uh, 2008, Game 3. <laughs> Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams... Five touchdowns for Ronnie Brown. I, I, I remember I uh, did a trade for him, and I don't remember who the player was I traded for, but I, I did a uh, trade for Ronnie Brown the week before. But I had him sitting on my bench, man. I wish uh, I could tell the whole story that I got the points. But uh, it was definitely the greatest game because I was expecting to get destroyed. You know, we're going to New England. We're 0-2. We had just gotten our butts kicked by the Raiders and the Cardinals. We got a brand-new coach coming off a 1-15 season. Doesn't look like this season is <laughs> going much better. So you could imagine just all yeah. of that was just – unbelievable as a Dolphins That had fan. to be such a validating win. Like, oh my God. All right. So we've got something. <laughs> now, 
I have to ask, what is your least favorite Dolphins game? Ooh, least favorite. Hmm. I gotta hold on, I might have to think about this for a second. If there's one uh, game that you can view as the most painful game you've ever seen, heard. Oh, oh gosh, okay. That was dumb that I even had to think about it. It was the sixty two to seven shellacking we took a Marino's last game <laughs> against the Jaguars in the playoffs. Oh. Uh that was just brutal. Sixty two to seven Marino threw like five interceptions, maybe in the first half or total for the game. It was really ugly. By by uh, end of second quarter, they had Jay Fiedler out there. Again, mm-hmm. the Jags had Jay Fiedler at that time out there just slinging it on us. Uh, that was really bad. Jimmy Johnson had said he had an announcement before the game that he was going to make. It was almost like he set us up for failure on that one. Oh, yeah, by the way, guys, we're going to get crushed this game, and then I'm going to be leaving the team. But oh, wow. uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, really sad, especially considering it was Dan Marino's last game. 62-7 to in the playoffs, man. That was, uh, now, that you, was hard to swallow. I'll tell you, there's something funny about that. You're talking about Dan Marino's last game against the Jaguars. Jim Kelly, his final game was against the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. He took that disgusting hit, and just they were taking him off the field, and I'm just like, that's it. I'm never going to get to watch that man play football again, and I didn't. He just never came back. Something about the Jaguars, man. Now, on game day, what is your favorite food-slash-beverage combo, and where do you prefer to watch the game? At home, at the stadium, or at a bar? Um... I actually prefer to watch it at a restaurant called Duffy's, and I I get myself these big giant the I don't know Duffy? what they're called, but these big forty ounce beers, and I, I eat these sesame Asian sesame wings, and uh, I sit there now with my notepad, and people look at me like, why is he taking notes on the game? <laughs> <laughs> I sit there with my notepad, my giant beers, and I just keep hammering down these wings like like it's the last wings I'm ever going to eat and <laughs> and uh, that's how I like to do it there's like a bunch of TVs there there's you know all kinds of football going on so you know everybody's rooting for different teams a lot of dolphins fans of course but well I'll tell you what you sound like my kind of guy so now now that we've got all the formalities out of the way we're going to get right into the meat and potatoes of this uh, this interview first and foremost guys for those of you who don't know Ron Caniff was lucky enough and I say lucky with quotations to get Miko Grimes to come onto his podcast, he and his associate did an interview with Miko Grimes. And by all accounts, it was a disaster from the standpoint of I've never heard a woman speak in a manner that made me want to throw things more. Now, mind you, I've, <laughs> I've broken up with women. I've lived with women that I've been broken up with at the time I was still living with them. No woman has infuriated me as much as listening to Miko Grimes speak. Now, Ron, I got to ask you, what made you reach out to Miko and get her on your podcast? Uh, reach out is uh, kind of a loose term there. I can kind of say that me and her have probably gone back and forth a little bit over social media, although she tried to pretend she didn't remember who I was. Of course. Nice try. Of course. But anyway, uh, we'd gone back and forth on social media for maybe six months here and there. She eventually got tired of my crap and blocked me once she went to uh, the Bucks. But I didn't block her. So every now and then I'd throw a little jab out there, just something silly, never anything personal. So I, I believe the, the straw that broke the camel's back was on Thursday night, I'm watching some preseason games, and uh, 
looking at Twitter as I always do, and I see this tweet from I believe it was a Bucks beat writer that mentioned the Bucks kicker, their new second round kick. Kicker mm-hmm. missed the first kick of his career. I believe it was an extra point or a field goal. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It was the extra point. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I said, "Boy, he's a bum, huh, Miko?" And you know, I I mentioned her, I added her in it because she's always calling Ryan Tannehill a bum. It was just for me. It was just a joke. I never thought she'd see it, and if she did see it, I mean, really. Who cares, right? But for some reason, I seem to really get under her skin. Well, I didn't know it because she has me blocked, but she was going off on me that night, going crazy. The next day, apparently she decided to keep going back at me. You guys saw the tweet. I'm sure we won't say it because there might be children and people listening that don't want to hear it. I don't know if anyone saw the tweet I put out there, but so this, this woman decided that it was a good idea to just take Ron to task. Just over his physical appearance, over just the fact that he didn't like her podcast because she apparently she has her own podcast. I've never heard of it because apparently it sucks. The the thing that bothers me most about the whole thing is she she's a foul. It bothers me because she hides behind this. Well, I have a broadcasting degree. You know, I I have a degree and I can. The thing is, you enunciate well. You're right. You speak very well. It's just that you use your talent to speak well. To say some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. I mean, she's a hack. If that's what she's claiming is that she's a journalist, she's a, she's a ridiculous hack. And then she sent out a tweet that literally insinuated that at some point during high school, she took money to give out hand jobs. She sent it. I, I can't make this stuff up. And I saw it and I retweeted it. And that's when I realized, that's when I found out you had had her on your show. And I listened to it. Anyone who wants to check it out. Seriously, go find. Well, what's the, the website? Yeah, the Finns broadcast. The Finns broadcast. Just Google the Finns broadcast and Miko Grimes. You're gonna find this episode, and I'll tell you. You listen to her talk, and it's like I've ah, oh, no one's ever infuriated me like that because she's just ignorant. Talking. To, I, I think the thing that bothered me most, and Ron, stop me if I'm wrong, but there was a line where Miko Grimes that you, she was being asked about her, about. You know, whether she thought that, you know, she needed, she, she should censor herself some since the people she was bashing paid her husband's salary. And her response was, well, you know, they don't pay my bills. Stephen Ross doesn't pay my bills. Joe Philman doesn't pay my bills. My husband pays my bills. Okay, who signs your husband's check? Because I'll tell you what, at some point they might get sick of your mouth. And they might decide that his talent level has declined just enough that you and him are both on the outs. And it almost seems like that's kind of what happened because it didn't take him long to find work. Miami just didn't want him anymore. Yeah, it's true. It made the situation volatile. Now she'll say that it didn't, that it had nothing to do with that. But let's face it, her being on the radio, and for a while she was on the radio uh, as an actual radio host. And you saw how long that lasted. Yeah, well, and then she got fired after she was arrested at the stadium. I'm assuming that had to do with that. Um, But after she got arrested, she was fired. But she was on the radio every single week bashing Ryan Tannehill, bashing Ryan Tannehill and and whatnot. So she was using her voice to uh, definitely tell everybody what she thought about Ryan Tannehill. And I just just think it's irresponsible for someone who – you're married to this guy. Okay, his – yes – he still has a job to do. It's ultimately, if he's talented enough, they'll overlook that. But you shouldn't be testing that. As his wife, you should be doing everything you can to prop him up and support him. 
and not making his life more difficult than it needs to be by ca- by him making reporters ask him questions about you. That should never come into play. No reporter in a post game you know interview should ever bring up your wife. They should be talking about football. And I think that she's done a lot of damage to her husband's career. And I think you know she she made him unpopular with the fan base. And so as, as long as he was still a talented player, the, the team didn't care. But it's easy for them to let a guy go who they know none of the fans give a damn about. And they know he's not a, er, really earning his pay anymore. So we're going to get away from this whole Miko Grimes situation. Guys, it's hilarious. If, if anyone hasn't, go check it out when you have a free minute. But we're going to get into the actual training camp information. And I've got some, I've got some questions for you. Now... I want you to tell me some stuff that maybe me, I don't know because I don't watch them every day. I try to follow them, but I, I can't keep tabs on them all the time. And our fans probably aren't going out of their way to listen to things about the Miami Dolphins. So yeah, Ron, I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on up here in Buffalo to cover where we can't. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot yeah of things I, I've on. seen that. It seems that uh, you guys have been having the interesting offseason. Yeah, I we thought won you guys had a phenomenal draft, by the way. Hey, I was we jealous of that hey, draft. Hey, hey, Ron. Ron, we won the offseason. We won the offseason. We won the offseason. <laughs> won the off-season. So I want to. the first place i got to start with the Dolphins is this. Brand new head coach, Adam Gase. First question i got to ask, have practices been different this offseason from past training camps under Joe Philbin? Not really. They, I mean, what they're working on is different. What they're focusing on is different. But honestly, the practices, pretty much all the practices I've seen, and I've seen practices from Sperano, Philbin, mm-hmm. and now Gase, like, you know, firsthand actually at the practices, they've all kind of looked the same, really. It's all a lot of the same drills, a lot of the same stuff. Does that honestly, you? it's not a whole lot different. I don't know that it's that much different in a lot of teams, honestly, unless mm-hmm. you're uh, uh, in San Fran. <laughs> with Chip Kelly yeah. or something. Well, and so I guess as a Dolphins fan, does that make you nervous? Uh, the only the, the performance right now of the offense in the practices, in the scrimmage, in the first game of the preseason, that makes me nervous. Okay, well, <laughs> Not necessarily the way they design the practice, but the performance, yeah, that, that's what's making me nervous right well, now. Well, that leads me right into my next question. How do you think Gase's offensive philosophies mesh with the talent that you guys have on hand? I mean, I know he runs a version of the West Coast offense. Okay, he, he's you know his method of attack is generally predicated on matchups instead of having you know some coaches just have plays. They're like, okay, I know that I have five go-to plays and I'm going to run them when I see a certain defensive alignment, and it, or I'm just going to run these plays and I'm just going to execute and make the defense try to stop me. Instead, it seems a lot like from everything I've read and everything I've seen of what he's done previously in his career. A lot of his offensive philosophies are more of like that college mindset where, hey, I'm going to find a mismatch and just try everything I can to exploit it. Yeah, it's almost like more like a basketball mentality than a football mentality with him. Mm -hmm. He definitely is known to, and I could see him even do this with the Dolphins, he's going to take the players he has, the talents they have, and make that work for him in his scheme and in his play calling and find, like you said, those mismatches. This draft that they had is definitely an example of that. He went out and he targeted certain kind of role player guys in this offense, especially in Kenyon Drake, which that hasn't worked out so well because he's been hurt the whole offseason. But uh, Jakeem Grant, which is more of like a Darren Sproles, Danny Woodhead kind of guy, and he's going to just kind of plug him into little spots here and there along with the, the players they have. And this guy's worked with all different kinds of quarterbacks and found success from Tebow to Manning 
the Cutler, and now he's got Tannehill. So he's got a track record of being able to figure it out. It's just a matter of now he's the head coach, just not the offensive coordinator. There's a lot more responsibility and a lot more pieces to it. See, now, and I, you're right. He, you know, in the draft, you guys added some bit, you guys added, added some pieces that are going to help your offense, or at least everyone hopes they'll help the offense. But I just have a real problem with something. So I'm reading this article on Pro Football Talk about his quotes in that press conference about how, you know, the whole NFL is a dink and dunk offense. Everyone runs a 10-yard passing scheme. Mm-hmm. So far out of the gate, by all accounts, the Dolphins' offense has struggled through the beginning of training camp. Now, to, you know, I kind of look statistically because once I heard his comments, I'm like, okay, let me go take a look at the numbers for myself. Out of the 12 teams that made the playoffs last year, only four made the playoffs with less than a 6.5 yards per pass average. Of those teams, you have Houston, Green Bay, Minnesota, and Denver. Okay, those are the four teams. Two of them had elite quarterbacks. Two of them had stud defenses, and one team had both of them. Uh-huh. So if Gase is modeling the Miami passing attack to be a dink and dunk, small, you know, small ball offense, do you think that the Dolphins as a whole have enough talent on both sides of the ball to support that kind of game style? Supported as in be a playoff team? Support, no. Yeah, I was going to say, supported <laughs> as in like, hey, our defense, you know, we're going to dink and dunk, and if that doesn't work, our defense is going to keep us in this game. Yeah, no, I think that right now, Gase being I'm going to mold the offense to the talent I have, well, he, he acquired a team with that kind of talent. Jarvis Landry being your number one receiver. Oh, Jarvis Landry really, is disgusting. Yeah, there's nothing that's really going to change that, though. He's a, a short pass, uh, short reception, I should say, kind of guy. He's still going to be the primary target. Mm-hmm. Now, they'll try and open it up more with Devontae Parker, but... He's still fighting through some injury issues, so we're starting to get nervous that is this always going to be haunting him? It, yeah. it caused him some problems in college, first <laughs> season of the NFL, now it's second season, and he's trying to, Gay said he's trying to play, play through this remaining pain, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got stills, which is more definitely a burner, and they're using stills, and stills performs good in practice when there's no pads on. As soon as you put the pads on, I wouldn't say stills disappears, he's but he's not guy. as effective. Well, of course, because he's a smaller guy. The thing yeah, is, exactly. the thing with your smaller guys, we see it out of Marquise Goodwin, although by all accounts, Goodwin's having a great camp here for the Bills. When you talk about your small speed receivers, the guys who are probably going to run only, they're only going to run three or four routes. Deep posts, they're going to run a go route, they're going to run you know, a deep in. They're going to run a couple different routes for you, but it's mostly predicated on them getting down the field and then making a move. Those small guys, if you jam them at the line, like if you have the ability to get your hands on them, they don't get to that second gear as fast as the pass rush is getting to the quarterback. And so that's why you see guys like Stills, especially with as good as your defensive line is, as good as they, you know, as much as they're trying to do in training camp, I can see where that would be disrupting what they're able to produce so far through the preseason in Gase's offense. Now, you're talking about players. How have the players responded, you know, to Gase as their head coach? You know, you've got guys like Mario and Sue who have big personalities. You know, they, they walk around with egos. We saw it here as Bills fans. Mario, when he was engaged, he was dominating. When he didn't care, he was the worst player on the field. 
Sue is Sue. You could say the kind of the same thing about him. I've seen a lot of games last season against the Bills here in Buffalo. Sue disappeared. He showed up for a quarter, and then no one heard from him. Do you think that Gase carries himself, you know, carries enough weight as the head coach not to get trampled over by those larger egos? A hundred percent. And I don't know that that swag that Gase has, and he definitely has some swag. It's not Rex Ryan kind of swag, though, because it's not real boisterous with, mm-hmm. you know, these kind of off-the-wall Trump-type comments that Rex Ryan will make sometimes. But he definitely has that, that kind of it factor about his personality. The players really seem to respond to it. So now, I'm not going to sit there and tell you that's going to lead to success, but it, at least that's totally different from Joe Philbin. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, just didn't have the locker room, especially after Bullygate. I think he lost the locker room and truly, really never got those players back. I'll be honest with you, Ron. There's there's a napkin right now. Well, a napkin. There's a paper towel underneath. We have a bucket of uh, unopened beers with ice here in the middle of the table between Chris and I. There's a paper towel underneath that bucket. That wet paper towel probably carries more weight than Joe Philbin did. (laughs) <laughs> Joe Philbin was milk toast. He was Casper the Ghost. He was a fr- Richie Incognito talked about the other day, and I think he was taking a shot at Joe Philbin when he said it on Colin Cowherd's show. He says, "Hey, I've played for a lot of coaches in this league, and I think it's between him. It was either between Joe Philbin and you know maybe it's both Joe Philbin and uh, Spagnola." Um, said, so, "Yeah, he's played Spagnuolo, for guys that are afraid, afraid of, of their, their own, own shadow. shadow." So when you say <laughs> that, you, hey, I've been coached by guys who are scared of their own shadow. Philbin strikes me as that guy. Philbin strikes me as the guy that even if he knows something's wrong in his locker room, he doesn't doesn't have the stones to say anything. You know, you saw him in the middle of games where they were up and just letting their lead slip away. Joe Philbin just stood there with his clipboard, emotionless. You can't be like that. You know, you have to make your guys look at Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin's been one of the more successful coaches in recent history, and he his guys know where his passion lies. When they screw up, he they know he's angry. They know when he's happy, and they know that they want to keep him happy. And I feel like that breeds success, whereas with guys like Philbin, they just stand there. And so the players are just like, listen, if we're going to – they just know they can railroad him. And I'm just wondering if – so you're, what you're saying is Gase isn't that type of head coach. His, he may be not this confident, not cocky attitude of his might be able to win over that locker room. Definitely. I, I, he's already won over the locker room. Now, if it starts to go south, I don't know what will happen. I don't know that he'll lose the guys unless it goes super south and it ends up like a one or two or three game season. Any coach will, will struggle through that. I don't, I don't think it matters who you are unless you're Bill Belichick or something and you just happen to have some odd anomaly of a season like that. Just about any head coach is going to struggle through something like that. But under any normal circumstances that the Dolphins will probably be, you know, in some average win somewhere this year, I don't think he'll have any locker room issues or uh, lose the team or anything like that. Well, we'll have to see how it all plays out. Now, moving on, where do you think the Dolphins' strongest positional group on the roster right now, you know, thus far through training camp? What is the where where's the strength on this Miami team? Uh, defensive line. Of course, I said that last year, and it didn't really 
come to fruition like we hoped so, but I'm still going to go defensive line, and just based off what I've gotten to see so far, what I've gotten to see with my own eyes at practice, especially when I saw the scrimmage, I was actually in the bubble, and I was like literally feet away from these guys and was able to see them just key off. They were just so quick off the ball, so quick. And I was curious, am I going to see that in the preseason game? And I did. Saw the same thing in the preseason game. These guys really quick off the ball, not just the starters, they're really the starters really didn't play much in the preseason. I'm talking the 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 mm-hmm. second unit. Mm-hmm. These guys were good. So it's a deep it's definitely the deepest position we have or deepest unit and I think it has the most talent on it and it's it's there's a good good starting four up there. Kind of some question there in the tackle position next to Sue whether that's going to be Earl Mitchell or whether that's going to be last year's second round pick out of Oklahoma Jordan Phillips. That's been kind of some Back and forth. I think there'll be some rotation there, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's, well, uh, it's a good, more. strong unit, and I think it's going to perform well this year. I think we're going to get pressure this year uh, with a four-man rush. Uh, it's looking like Vance Joseph has them playing well. More so than any other position, D-tackle is where you can get away with the rotation. You know, if you don't have one guy who's a clear-cut starter, you can just roll them. You know, you roll three or four guys. It doesn't matter. You keep them all fresh. Late in the game, that's going to matter. But... I kind of came into this. I have notes here. Defensive line going to be the backbone of the Miami defense. I expect to see that. You know, I expect your defensive line to succeed. If they don't, I feel like the rest of your defense is in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. Which leads me to my next question. What do you think your weakest positional group is? If you'd asked me a week and a half, two weeks ago, or leading into camp, I'd have instantly said cornerback. But I'm going to go with just from what I've seen so far. Uh, I'm going to go with linebacker still. And I think it was last year as well. The, the linebacking core, there's just struggles there. And they, they really only added, honestly, uh, they truly only added Kiko Alonso. And he, he doesn't seem to be a tackling machine. Now, it was one preseason game, I'll give you. But I, I saw some poor tackling. And that makes me nervous because we're already a poor tackling team. So we need to be adding guys to, the, to that team, to that uh, uh, linebacking core and secondary that are better tacklers so we can become a better tackling team and i'm not sure but i'll definitely be keeping my eyes out the number one thing i'm watching over the next few games is to watch the tackling from from the first unit on down i want to watch the tackling of the defense because we've been a poor tackling team for a few seasons now it really costs us big time so i'm hoping that's not going to be a trend they can somehow figure that out I wish you could have seen drew's face when you said the word linebacker these are two questions that we've had over the last three weeks, because you're the last portion of our training camp roundup here. Drew, I believe, is six for six in guessing <laughs> our guests' <laughs> strongest and weakest position. And now when you had said linebackers, you know, Kiko Alonso's got some bum knees. Do you think that's going to – do you think that's going to be, uh, you know, take effect on him? Throughout the season. And, and before you answer, I wanted to say the reason I picked linebacker, Ron, is because I just look at what you guys are bringing to the table. I look at what you put on the field last season. You know, last season, there was multiple times in just the, you know, I won't lie and say I went out of my way to watch a lot of Dolphins games. But. Just two? There was those two games. And <laughs> I'll tell you, your linebackers, just like you were saying, they just did not tackle. There was no tackling. And then the fact is that by the time you were playing us in the second game, you were starting Kelvin Shepard. He's a guy that yeah. we shipped off for Jerry Hughes in, in what, what might be equated to the great train robbery. 
you know, we traded away. We got Jerry Hughes in exchange for you know Kelvin Shepard head up, heads up, and now he's bounced around to different teams all over football because he's just not a good football player. I think he could be a decent special teamer, but he doesn't have the speed for it. I mean, he's an okay tackler, but not great. He's not good in space. There's not a whole lot he does well. And the fact that you guys started him in that game speaks to how bad your depth was last season. I feel like coming into this season, bringing in a player like Kiko Alonso, he's controversial because he started out here in Buffalo, runner-up as defensive rookie of the year. But then he, he tore his other ACL. Now he's coming off two knee injuries, and he just has never looked like the same player. And he also had one in Philadelphia, too. Then, do you hold out? Do you guys hold out hope that he can play a 16-game season? He, I tell you what, he looks fast, man. And just seeing him with my own eyeballs super close up, I was really impressed with him at the scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just was not impressed with the tackling. I kind of feel like his speed is there. I'll be honest with you, just watching him, I watched him keep up and cover Jakeem <coughs> Grant. Jakeem Grant's the fastest guy on our team. And I watched it with my own eyes, and I was like, wow, that guy's way faster than I thought he'd be. So he maybe have regained some of that speed and recovered, hopefully, from that injury. Uh, I just the, the tackling effort, I won't say effort, the tackling performance uh, from last Friday night against the Giants has me concerned. Could have just been an anomaly. First time that guy's been in a live game for a while. Now, uh, an- so. Well, so answer this question for me, because this was my 1B. I had a 1A and 1B for weakest positional group. Now, historically, over the last like three or four seasons, if I'm a Dolphins fan, the one thing I'm concerned about is offensive line. Now, you added Tunsil. He fell as a you know, manna from heaven just fell to you guys because of the whole bong mask fiasco. So you've added him, and he's playing guard. He's not playing tackle. He's playing mm-hmm. guard. Now the question becomes: What have you guys? Have you do you think that your team has done enough in this offseason to address the offensive line that you're okay with where you're at on the O line going into the season? I thought they had leading into camp based off the personnel they had added. Then when we saw the first depth chart, it literally was the same exact starting five as week one last year, and I almost lost it. I was going to say that had to strike a chord. No, I was going to say that had to strike a chord because that's what I saw. I took a look at it and I was like, "Oh my God, Dallas Thomas!" <laughs> but it, this is Gase's philosophy. He's making people earn it. He's not just giving it to them. He was he was going off what he saw in camp the first couple weeks. I get that. And Dallas Thomas, which is our been our left guard from hell over the past few years, he seems to be a decent performer in camp. For whatever reason, when the game start, he just gets blown off the ball. But here's where I'm going to give Gase a ton of credit. He saw one game where he was like, okay, this offensive line isn't going to maybe make it. So all, just instantly in the past few practices, he put uh, he's put Tunzel in with the ones a lot more. And he's been bringing Tunzel along slow. Tunzel played left tackle his career. Now all of a sudden you're putting him not only in the NFL but putting him at guard. So he's been playing him second team, a little left tackle right at first just to let him play a place where he's comfortable give him some confidence, give him some success, then slide him into guard at the second team for a while, put him in with the ones a little bit. Now he's more and more and more with the ones. And he's also put uh, Bushrod, which was a free agent that we grabbed over this past year, another guy who was a left tackle. Now he's going over to right guard. So we really have three left tackles on our team right now. <laughs> well, at least <laughs> uh, on the you have that going line, for it, But it we looks have, like we have one game two. I'm sorry? 
I was saying that you've got that going for you because the Bills have one left tackle, and then everyone else is just trying to play left tackle. I gotcha. So it looks like I'm guessing when we go play Dallas uh, on Friday night that he'll probably have changed that starting lineup. I believe we're gonna. I'm gonna wait and see uh, what happens there. Who he actually puts out as the starting five. But, uh, yeah, Tunzel will be the left tackle of the future for sure. But for now, we have Brandon Albert, who's a Pro Bowl left tackle. He doesn't really want to come into guard. He's not, not a guard, even though he played play. some, you know, in college. And uh, like, going to let Tunzel play guard for a year or two, and he'll slide over to left tackle and hopefully be that 10-year left tackle that we drafted him to be. I guess we're going to find out. So since we're talking about line, I'm just going to skip right ahead to defensive and offensive line play. Now, Bills fans would be upset if I didn't ask this question. How has Mario Williams been received in Miami? And how has he personally performed thus far through training camp? He's looked good in training camp. The effort has been there. And that's really going to be the key with, well, I don't need to tell you. That's going to be the biggest key with Mario Williams because last year it was literally like, you know, the ball would be hiked and he'd kind of almost stand there. That's how much effort he was giving you guys. Um, I saw it during I saw, gotta, again, I saw it in the game against your team. It happened in Orchard Park, and that was the day that I wrote him off. Your game against us, Lamar Miller gets a pitch out, you know, and they, they underuse Miller. I love that guy. He yeah. was one of my favorite players last season. When he got touches, he was a great player, and you guys just didn't utilize him well. But it's a pitch out to Miller, and Miller's taking it, and it, Mario's running him to the sideline. And he pulls up because I think in his head he's assuming that, okay, Miller looks like he's going to run out. I'm not going to try to finish this tackle. I'm just going to let him have it. And instead, you know how shifty Miller is. Miller mm-hmm. jukes and runs an extra five yards on top of that. It ends up as a seven-yard gain. And that moment right there, I wrote Mario Williams off. I said, I don't want him on my roster anymore. That's a guy who isn't motivated to play right now, and he just allowed that game to happen. He let it happen. He could have done his job, and he chose not to. That's, so that's why I guess I'm so interested to see how he's meshing with the rest of the Dolphins players and see you know how is his motivation level in camp. I'm sure he's flying off the ball, and as long as they're going to let him rush the passer, the passer, passer, he's going to be content. Now, is that how they're utilizing him right now? Is mainly just a pass rusher? Oh, they're using. A, he is the uh, on the right side of the defensive line, or against the left tackle, um, in a four-three defense. So he's doing what he wants to do. He's not dropping back in coverage or doing any kind of the things and in some of the exotic things that Rex Ryan had going on and putting Mario Williams in some positions he really, I guess, didn't feel comfortable in, didn't want to be in, whatever the story was there in Buffalo. Like, you you know, you probably weren't paying as much attention. I really didn't know these things until we got them. Then I start to hear all these things that, was going on, that were going on in Buffalo. But he seems to be utilized where he's most comfortable, the way he was utilized mostly in Houston, um, and I guess at first with the Bills. Uh, so, so far, so good on that. So far, he seems happy. I don't know as the season goes on and if things go badly, if it'll stay that way. But we didn't exactly spend a ton of money on him either. So, but we need him if the if the team's going to do good. We definitely need him to perform for sure. Even though it's a deep uh, unit, we need Mario Williams to be at least somewhat of what Mario Williams has been in the past. Now, I can't lie. 
you know, I've heard it said from some of my more ignorant friends. They've been, you know, as soon as he left, like, oh, he's in our division. Kind of, you know, wishing a lot of ill will towards Mario. I guess my thing that I can say my version of ill will towards Mario is that I hope, I hope, because the start of your season is brutal. You know, the start of your season is rough. And if you guys start out one in four, let's say, or one in three, how motivated is Mario going to be to come out there every Sunday? I would like for nothing more than to see a very unmotivated Mario Williams. Because I feel like then it wouldn't then people couldn't just point the finger at Rex or point the finger at the Bills and saying we killed his motivation. There's a reason that the that the uh, Houston Texans chose JJ Watt over Mario Williams. They didn't even try to pursue him. They just let him walk because they knew what they were getting. Comes down to work ethic. <laughs> so talking about, you know, trying to avoid that one and three start. How has your quarterback play been so far through you know the training camp to this point? You've seen one game. You, you know, the offense struggled. There was a lot made of it. Do you think all the criticism at the offense rests on the coach, or do you think some of it comes back to the quarterback, or where do you think a lot of that falls? The quarterback play so far during camp and in the first game has been a nice word would be uneven. <laughs> uh, probably a more accurate uh, picture would be not great, honestly. Uh, Tannehill is, has had some struggles for sure. Uh, the scrimmage that they had uh, a couple weeks ago was just, that was maybe the worst performance by an offense in a practice or in a game that I've seen the Dolphins ever have, including Tannehill or others. It was really bad. Um, the next practice wasn't much better, and it kind of looked like how the first game went. And now they only got seven plays, two possessions. I imagine against Dallas, you're definitely going to see them thrown out there longer and give it a, a a more serious try than just get them out there and let them get used to it a bit. Tannehill now has audible powers, which he never had before under Philbin and the two offensive coordinators that were with Philbin. So uh, that's also something that he's trying to absorb and trying to figure out. It's a new offense in general. That's something that they're trying to figure out. I know there's some things they're going to be doing, like this ludicrous speed that Ryan Tannehill mentioned as far as trying <laughs> to what he called speed. it, uh, Spaceballs reference. And uh, I know that that's things that we probably won't see till the actual season starts. But so far, definitely some big questions there. Are, are you comfortable with the depth that uh, sits behind Tannehill? Yeah, Matt Moore is he's steady. I mean, he's he's Mister Second String Quarterback. Uh, so uh, if something were to happen, and now when you, are you referring to pulling Tannehill and putting in Moore, or if there's an no, in injury, case of injury, it's kind of a different situation. In case of injury, yeah, that's that's fine. Matt Matt Moore is an adequate. You know, he's a little bit more of a chance taker, a little bit more of a gunslinger. He might make some bigger plays. He's also going to make some bigger mistakes. That's just Matt Moore. That's the way he plays football. Uh, so you just got to know that going in. But uh, he's definitely inadequate. He's been our backup quarterback now for, I think, five seasons. All right. Well, by all accounts, Gase's offense is live and die based on the quarterback's performance. You know, he's... He's talking about liking this dink and dunk passing offense, and he talks about, oh, all the great teams do it. Yeah, the great teams. But you know what makes those great teams? Quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, who can play that game. You know, Aaron Rodgers can play that game. You've got uh, Tom Brady, 
who can play Brady. that game. He's the number one example got, of a dink and duck offense that works. And you can do that if you have a quarterback who gets the ball out quickly, accurately, decisively, makes sound decisions, reads the field before it needs to be read. His Tannehill looked comfortable. Because, I mean, I know you said his performance is up and down. How much of that do you think might revolve around the fact that he's not comfortable in this offense? He's not comfortable yet. I mean, that's a definite. They really need to play him in this offense and these ones, in my opinion, a little bit more than they normally would in the second game. You're already going to usually play two and a half to three quarters in the third game. So I think they really need this game against Dallas uh, to be a game where they go at least to halftime. That, that's just my opinion. That's what I want to see him do because you've got to give these guys a chance to kind of uh, meld together a little bit more because we just haven't seen enough against other teams specifically uh, to really be able to see how comfortable they can get, how much he can use the the audible power he's been given and get used to the whole offense. We're going to wrap all of this up. I mean, that's, I'll tell you, I've, this is all good stuff, and I don't think he's going to get a whole half. That's my fear for you guys, is that this Gase has runs a very complicated off. The thing he's credited with is keeping quarterbacks out of trouble. You look what he did with Jay Cutler. He made Jay Cutler look like a serviceable quarterback. When we all know Jay Cutler is a poor man's Brett Favre. He's a guy that will go out there, and he'll still be a gunslinger, but that doesn't mean he's going to be great. He's just going to go out there and fire the ball around the field. So the thing about that is that I think he's, it's going to take a lot of time for Tannehill, who, in all honesty, I think he's been dealt a rough hand. I think he was given a subpar offense to begin with when he was drafted. Can you disagree with me on that? He was, he was oh, drafted definitely. and he was yeah. put into a subpar situation, asked to do too much too fast. I think he was, I still believe he was a quarterback who, if he had had time to develop, I always go back to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers might not be what Aaron Rodgers is today if he didn't sit for three seasons. Some of these guys, yes, they flash the tools you need to play quarterback, but you don't just get it right away. So for a guy like Tannehill, who was a converted quarterback from wide receiver, I always, from ever since that draft, had questions about his ability to get down the quarterback position. I think if he's going to get it, it's going to take a, a, a good system and B, it's going to take time, and he's going to need reps, and he's going to need time to grow in that system. You can't just keep putting pressure on the guy to win right away. He's got to grow organically in it. Do you disagree or agree with that? I, I agree. It's going to take him through this season. I, I don't think you'll see him really figure it out. If he's going to figure it out till probably midseason, uh, honestly, I, I think that's the way it's going to go. I think it's going to be a tough season for the Dolphins, honestly, as far as that goes. Just a lot of question marks a lot of moving pieces right now and then the last of my questions so the draft happened you guys are in camp you're getting to see the outlay of your team for the first time you're getting an idea of what it's going to look like how much have your rookies and your free agent slash trade contributions really kind of you know how much have they brought to training camp thus far that you can see uh Byron Maxwell, uh, who we got in that trade with the Eagles when we also got Kiko Alonso, he seems very solid, maybe a, l a lot more back to the way he was in Seattle because he's playing the same kind of 
position he did in Seattle and not being asked to do what he was asked to do in Philly, which he apparently wasn't very good at. Uh, Kiko Alonso, like I said, he's been good in practice. Didn't, didn't do great in the Giants game. Uh, Arian Foster, who we brought in, uh, he, he's coming off the Achilles. He started on Pup for a few days. They didn't play him in the first game. They're going to play him against Dallas. I think he might actually start. And honestly, barring injury, think he will be the starting running back to start week one over Jay Ajayi. So have any of your other 2000, you know, you're talking about, you know, draft picks earlier in the podcast. You were talking about draft picks standing out. I've got a couple names here. Now, you mentioned Kenyon Drake. I'm a huge Alabama fan. So I'm curious, did he look, I know he's been hurt now, but did he look good when he had the a chance to get his hands on the ball? Man, he's been hurt since like OTAs oh, one way or another. Yeah, it's been, trust me, I was most excited because I'm a big Bama fan too. Oh, big nice. Roll damn tight. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, I was really excited that we finally drafted somebody from Bama. And, and the funny part was I was on all these podcasts saying, we need to draft Kenyon Drake. We got to draft Kenyon Drake. He could do this. He could do that. He could do this. He could do that. And, uh, yes, lo and behold, all we've seen him do is uh, sit on the trainer's table because he's just – it's all little injuries, like hamstring, things like that. It's its nothing major. That's how it's he just he can't really though. see the field. For anybody who watched Alabama, that's how he ended his career, though. Maybe like that's just, why Miami doesn't like taking players from Alabama is Nick Saban. <laughs> he, just, he just grinds them down into nothing and then hands them yeah. off to the NFL. Or they just don't like that Nick Saban used to be Miami's coach. So we are, we've already gone over some different names, free agents, whatever. I've got two names that haven't been mentioned that i got to ask about. First off, Leonte Carew. I know mm-hmm. Bills fans listening right now are like, who the, who the frig are you talking about right now? Leonte Carew, wide receiver. A lot has been made about the fact that Devontae Parker was a first-round draft pick, and he seemed like he had all the physical tools, but again, you're talking about another guy who can't stay healthy. He's just always has some kind of malady. There's something going wrong with him. So, Leontay Carew had a productive college career. How has he looked so far through training camp? Uh, he's looked like a rookie when I say, you know, a little confused at times, not always quite... Mm-hmm. There, I, I remember in the scrimmage, I remember seeing him run a couple routes, and uh, I believe Matt Moore was actually on the field, field so Tannehill was coming up to Carew and you know giving him some coaching and some pointers uh, and things like that. Uh, so I, I hope to see more of him, but he he's kind of like our Rashard Matthews replacement in a way. We lost Matthews as a free agent to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank goodness he didn't go to the Pats because... The, the, he, he and the Pats both made a mistake there. That was a match made in heaven. But luckily, he didn't go to the Pats. Uh, so I think Carew is kind of a re- replacement for Matthews. But really, you're talking about a guy who's probably running fourth to fifth string you know, wide receiver for us. So okay. he's, he's going to take some time to develop, honestly. And then the last question I have for you, your second-round pick, Xavier Howard. Mm-hmm. I was pissed that you – because my hope was that you guys would come into all this with garbage for cornerback depth. I, you know, I didn't see the trade for Maxwell coming. Xavier Howard starts camp on the pup list. It's They're talking about a knee injury. Is it serious? And do you think it's serious enough to hamper his ability to assist early on in the 2016 season? Yeah, because I don't even know if he's going to see the field till like, last week of camp or week one. They really haven't given a true timetable for when we'll see Howard on the field. Mm-hmm. That's uh, affecting... Uh, right now, his ability to learn the NFL game. So we've got a lot of other guys right now having to step up. And I actually just wrote an article. I just submitted it uh, to Finn Maniacs maybe two hours ago. 
about the guys who did step up uh, that we were questioning, and they stepped up in a big way in the Giants game, and Bobby McCain, who is fighting just to be the, the nickel slot cornerback, and he came out there and uh, and really had a great game as the starting corner opposite of Tony Lippett because Byron Maxwell, his growing got a lot of tight, so he didn't play. So really, in this Giants game, the two guys that at the beginning of the season we thought were going to be the starters – Xavier Howard and Byron Maxwell uh, were both sitting on the sidelines and other guys were in there, but they actually did pretty well. So I was super concerned about the cornerback spot. I'm starting to feel a lot better about it. It seems like a lot of guys, there's a couple other guys too, like Lafayette Pitts that are actually showing some things, showing that they have some talent. That group may not be as bad as we think, but really would like to see Howard get on the field. And uh, it would definitely make the the unit a lot stronger than it is right now, especially you're going to be playing Seattle uh, right off the bat, and they've got a good, they got a great team. And <laughs> then you're going to the Patriots, which I know they don't have Brady, uh, but they definitely got some good receivers there, and they just have a good offense in general. Well, with, uh, the problem with the Pats is it's not even the receivers; it's the dual tight end menace that they're just putting out there again. The fact yeah, that and we got and we got nothing for that. Somebody, we, we somebody, somebody should. Well, they, and that's what I was going to say. For a team like the Dolphins, who's thin at linebacker, questionably, you know, cornerbacks are starting to round into form. That's a nightmare matchup because you don't have anyone. You don't have anyone who, whether it's safety, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's anyone who can carry any of those guys. You know, we have one of the best safeties in the league in Rashad Jones, Pro Bowl safety. He is not a cover guy. Yeah, that is not his strength. <laughs> He's a safety. <laughs> He's yeah. a great safety, but he is no cornerback. He can't go one-on-one and defend Gronk or even, you know, defend uh, Martellus Bennett. Yeah. It's just, it's, that's going to be a nightmare matchup. Now, mind you, it's been a nightmare matchup the last few years, and mm-hmm. we've beat We've beat the Patriots, split with the Patriots three straight seasons. Yeah, and I don't know how you... is actually plays well against the Patriots a lot of times. I don't know how you guys do it. It's like some kind of weird voodoo takes Mm -hmm. over, and you guys somehow do something that the Bills just cannot figure out. But I'll tell you what, I'm really looking forward to this upcoming season. We're going to, you know, guys, all eyes on the Dolphins this weekend. I try to record every single preseason game from the different teams and watch them just to see if there's flashes from guys that I should be worried about, guys I need to be talking about. Ron, I love the fact that you came on with us tonight because you have so like just talking to somebody you know podcasts and follows the Dolphins. I can't have any intelligent Dolphins conversation here in Buffalo. It just doesn't happen. Now, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find your broadcast? Okay, you can go a few different places. It's called the Fins Broadcast. So obviously you can go to iTunes, you can go to Stitcher, you can go to Google Play. Uh, if you don't remember what it's called, you can actually just look up uh, Search Miami Dolphins and it'll come up in all there, uh, all those uh, pod catchers, if you will. And then you can also go to orangeandaqua.com. That's a blog that uh, the, the uh, podcast is actually on. And you can find all the ways to listen there, all the links that I just mentioned uh, are there. You can just stream it uh, straight from there. You can go to my Twitter account, which is the best place to find me, I'm always there, uh, at Finns Broadcaster. That's F-I-N-S Broadcaster. Uh, there's links there as well to listen. So lots of places to find it. Ron, we really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. I loved, ha- loved being on it. All right, guys, a lot of thanks to Ron Cannon for stopping by tonight. You know, you can find a ton of content 
you know, we're going to be on Facebook Live every Saturday night. During the season. Every Saturday night during the season. You can find the Rockpile Report. Go to BillsFanaticsBF.com on Facebook. Find the group. You can find us Facebook Live. Bring your questions. Bring whatever you want to talk about. We'd be more than happy to sit down with you guys, the fans, and really get a chance to interact. You know, this week, Chris is going to be taking Saturday night. He's going to be recapping the games. I'm going to be out of town. I'm going solo. I'm so scared. <laughs> and then you've got guys like Nate Geary from WGR 550 going on Sunday. You've got guys like Rob from BillsWire.com. He's on Tuesday. He's on Tuesday. Ryan, Ryan Lacell. Ryan Lacell from Rock Sports Network from Rochester. He goes on Mondays. The fact is, is there's a ton of great stuff going on over there. And... <laughs> You can get all of this. Just go to Facebook, BillsFanaticsBF.com. Go on Facebook, take a look at it, or go to the website. You can find our, our webcast. You can find their TV show. There's a ton of content out there. If you guys have any questions, comments, and questions you might have, things you want to hear us talk about, go ahead and get at us at Report on Twitter, at Report 716 at gmail.com. I would like to thank Kyle Smith, AFC East Pros. Because we just finished a three-week uh, AFC East training camp roundup. We had uh, two weeks ago. We had Christian Simonelli on. For, he does uh, part-time podcasting with the PFW in progress. And then we had Kyle Smith on last week. AFC East Bros podcast. And then tonight we had Ron Caniff on from the Finns broadcast. Christian and Ron recommended by Kyle Smith. Kyle. Thank you so much for your recommendations, as well as recommending yourself for the Jets. At the end of the day, guys, we've had a lot of fun, but we got to get going. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Power Report.